Tonight, we are continuing our study of the life of David. We began this last week. Uh, we will not cover, I said this last week, I think, we are not going to cover everything in the life of David, because that would take forever and ever and ever, and you know me, I just can't do it. So we're going to do uh, selected stories from his life. Uh, and, and valuable lessons that we can learn from his life. Of course, we began last week by looking at that famous phrase, right? A man after God's own heart. Uh, and, and what that means and why God is looking for that. We looked at the context of his, uh, the kingdom of Israel, or not kingdom, it's not a kingdom really, for the beginning of it. Uh, Israel's leadership leading up to David, right? We have Eli and then his sons and Samuel and his sons and then Saul becomes a kingdom and things do not go well. And that is the situation into which David uh, arrives. And prior to the kings, again, we think about Saul as the first king, and so we've got Samuel and Eli, and before that we have the judges. How were Israel's leaders selected prior to the kings? And ever thought about that? How did God pick? Okay, well, let's see, we could go back to Abraham. Abraham was just picked out of the world, the whole world, really. And we could assume, perhaps, that he was picked because he was a man that would have faith, maybe already had faith in God and Yahweh. Uh, of course, he's not really in the nation of Israel yet. That's all beginning. What about Moses? Why Moses? Well, you might think, okay, Moses was selected because he was in a unique situation. He was not only uh, an Israelite, but he was raised in Pharaoh's household, and he has a lot of the sort of the intercultural connection, and, and I don't know, he ran away, so that wasn't great. And then, of course, he's off in the wilderness. He doesn't want to go save Israel, but, of course, he does. We could think about the judges. Samson, not a great dude, did a lot of good stuff, but ultimately undone by his bad trust in the wrong woman. A little bit of arrogance if you read through the story of Samson. Think about Samuel, the last judge whose sons ultimately remained unfaithful to the Lord. How did God select Israel's leaders? Whatever you can say, it wasn't just, you're the son of the last king, so you're the guy in charge now. They were selected based on who they were as individuals, what Israel needed at the time, the situation that they were in. And now we're entering into a new section of Israelite history where Saul, he's not a great king, kingdom ripped away from him. David's such a great king that from thence on it is, you're just the son of David, I guess you're the king now. Whether or not you're a good person, whether or not you're going to be faithful, whether or not you're going to follow the Lord, I guess you're just the king now because you're the son of David. Why do I bring this up? As we think about David's beginnings, Saul chosen, what we might think of as sort of a, a, a person we might think of as a king, very tall, very well built and very handsome, ultimately was not faithful to the Lord. David then, God is just picking David. Why does he pick him? Well, we've already read previously, a man after God's own heart, one who will do all of my will, which I would suggest is how God picked all the other leaders up until now. People who would do his will, not perfectly, ultimately, but who would do his will and accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in the kingdom. And part of the reason why I think God is so against a kingdom in Israel is now it's no longer going to be that I'm just going to pick your leader based on what the nation needs. Now you're going to be stuck with this guy who's a king, whether he's good or not. And of course, we know where that ends up. 1 Samuel 16, the story that we'll read today. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Samuel, 
How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. That's a mouthful. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you will do. And you shall anoint for him, anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Okay, Samuel. Really distraught, we were told last week we read, he cried all night to the Lord over Saul's rejection of God's ways. Basically, the Lord says, get up, it's time to get move on. Basically, it's time to move on. I've picked the next guy, let's go. Samuel is still afraid of Saul. Saul is, uh, is, is more and more leaning into wickedness, and, and we'll see later tonight sort of the distress of his soul. Saul is not a very reasonable fellow, it seems. And so Samuel is afraid. I got, I got to do this, I guess, but he's afraid. And that leads us into what is going on in the situation. He comes in verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders came to the city, uh, came to meet him trembling. They are afraid. And said, do you come peaceably? Why would they ask that? Why would they be afraid? Here comes Samuel, who's led Israel relatively well up until this point. He's been sort of the de facto leader, the main prophet in Israel. But again, Saul has, I think, created an atmosphere of fear and distrust and un unrest in the kingdom through his actions and his forsaking of the Lord, through his selfishness. And so they're not sure. Do you come peaceably? He says, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So who's there? We have the elders of the city. They're the ones in charge of the city, sort of leading and, and shepherding and guiding the city. And then we have Jesse and his sons. They invited all to the sacrifice. Uh, this is taking place around a sacrifice. I don't think that is a coincidence. The anointing of the Lord's servant taking place at the sacrifice of offering to the Lord and... Maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe not. Verse 6, the sons came. This is the sons of Jesse, right? He looked on Eliab and thought, yeah, this is the guy. Surely this is the guy. What does that mean? I don't know. It doesn't really say necessarily, do not look on his appearance or height or stature. He's probably well built. He's probably attractive. He's, he's probably tall. He, he looks like a king. But you know who else looked like a king? Saul. How did that go? Not great. So let's read it. They came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And I would suggest again that this has been the case for all of Israelite history up till now. He has looked in each case of looking for a judge for his people, looking for a leader for his people, not at the outward appearance, but at their hearts. Who will guide Israel the way that I need them to be led at this particular moment? Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither as the Lord chose this one, and Shammah, and not that one. And seven of the sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. David as the youngest, interestingly, not even invited 
to the sacrifice. Not even invited to this thing that's going on. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. We had to have somebody keep the sheep. It might as well have been David. He's out there in the field. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down. How far away are the sheep? The sheep? They're probably not right there. Somebody's got to go run and get them. You should have had him here, Jesse. Now we're going to sit. We're going to stand here until he gets here. So they go and get David. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Now it's interesting because God just said, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I rejected him, talking about Eliab. And yet what is the first thing that is pointed out about David? He's good looking. He was ruddy and beautiful and, and uh, had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. So it's not that the Lord's servant cannot be attractive, but that that is irrelevant. In this case, he happens to be that. And it makes sense, right? If Eliab's that way, David's his brother, genetically. Apparently Jesse, probably a good-looking guy. Maybe married a good-looking woman. Who knows? And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Two things to note about this story. About David, who is, again, the second or third or fourth most important person in not just Israelite history, literally all of history. We could say Jesus won, and then you've got three, Abraham, Moses, and David. You can argue about the order of Abraham, Moses, and David, but David's in that second tier of all of humans throughout history. And what was he? He's just a shepherd, just out in the field. Not even important enough to his own family to be invited to this ceremony. Like, I, I kind of wonder if Jesse forgot about David. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot about him. He's out in the field. Or was it intentional? I don't know, which is worse. Is it worse that he's like, yeah, just leave David out there? Or is it worse that he forgot him? Either way, not considered important enough to be here. Just a humble shepherd. Now again, we think about this. This is the almost the last time in Israelite history that God picks very directly who will be the leader. After this point, it's all genetic. It's all sons of sons of sons. I guess there's the split kingdom and they sort of take over the part of the kingdom. And, and there's obviously God is using some of them, but some of them God just lets be evil, right? A lot of the kings are not great people and God just lets them do that. That was the consequence for Israel choosing to have a king. This is the last time that God directly chooses who is going to be Israel's leader. And how does he pick? He picks not because of who he is, not because of his job, not because of his history, but because of his heart. Who he has the potential to be. Potential to be not because of any greatness or wealth or anything else, but because he is willing, fundamentally willing, to obey. That's it. David is chosen because he is willing to obey unlike Saul, and unlike many of the kings that would follow after. And of course, the question then becomes, how did Jesus pick the apostles? We're told they were backwater hicks, I'm paraphrasing, uneducated men. Why were they chosen? 
because they were willing to obey. What about God's leaders in his church today? Now, God did not descend and say, Don, Jesh, you're going to be an elder. That didn't happen. It sort of did in a roundabout way, though. When Paul writes to the church, to Timothy in Ephesus, gives them this list of things about who should be an elder and who should be in charge, who should be leading the church, what are the things? Not a new Christian? Managed his household well? Husband of one wife? Able to teach? A.K.A. what? He has demonstrated a willingness to obey. Not only has he demonstrated a willingness to obey, he has demonstrated an ability to obey over the course of a life lived in service to God. That is what God is looking for in his leaders. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter your history, doesn't matter your past, are you willing and able to obey God? That is what God wants from his people. Paul says as much, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. What is regarded as nothing. Sort of an insult to the Corinthians. You guys were nothing. You guys had nothing. You weren't powerful. weren't important. Weren't rich. God chose what is nothing, uh, low and nothing. Uh, where am I? God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside, what is regarded as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. What made us something? Everyone in this congregation. You became something when you chose to obey. That's when you became righteous and sanctified and redeemed. Not because you're great. Not because I'm awesome. Not because we're so smart. Not because we're so rich. We chose to obey God. That's what David was going to do. Now, second question. What skills do you think make for a good king? Just thinking about it. Again, we're thinking about God's cho choosing of David. What skills? Well, probably organizational skills, maybe leadership skills, probably. Um, maybe strategic thinking. Maybe you can think of a number of things. Let's think about this. Do you think a king needs to be a good musician? Probably not. And yet, prior to his becoming a king... He has two skills, shepherding and music. That's what David's got. And it's interesting, the story, the, you know, if, he could have told a lot of stories about David prior to his uh, uh, ascending the throne, but he tells the story first of his musical talent, 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Of course, it just descended upon David, we just read. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, I think this is what? The Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. The Lord has withdrawn his blessing. More than that, the Lord has disciplined Saul. 
Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man whom is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, the guy from Bethlehem, that's what I should say, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war. A man of war? What does that mean? I don't, I don't know if he's been in any wars at this point. Prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. It's interesting. David shows up. Samuel says, you're the Lord's choice chosen. I don't know how much he tells him about, like, you're going to be king. How is that going to happen? What does David immediately do after he is anointed? Oh, I'm the guy. Oh, wait, I got to go care for those sheep. <laughs> he goes right back to the field with the sheep. And goes back to caring for them. He doesn't get arrogant. He doesn't try to go to the capital and take over. He doesn't barge in and say, Saul, I'm, re I'm your replacement. He's told, you're the Lord's anointed. But what does he do? He waits for the Lord to reveal when he should take the throne. He doesn't try to take it himself. He just goes back to what he's doing. Well, I guess I'll just wait for you to tell me what to do, God. Because he's willing to obey. We keep reading. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer, and Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. It's hard to know exactly how much David is thinking about at this time. As he's playing the lyre, is he thinking, yeah, I'm going to be a replacement. <laughs> I'm going to have your job someday, Saul. Enjoy it while it lasts. Probably not. I don't think he's thinking that. I think he's thinking this is a way that I can help. Just like he was thinking with the sheep, I still have a job to do. What are we seeing in David? Humble beginnings of a king. That he's not willing to overstep his place. He's willing to wait on the Lord. He's willing to accept that he has things that can be of service, even if this man should maybe be his enemy. How would normal people think about this? Yet he's still willing to help Saul to do what he can, to use his abilities in the service of the Lord's anointed. And we're going to see this as we go on. David's attitude towards Saul, one of the most interesting things about the whole story of David. How he's not willing to supersede Saul, to supplant Saul until the Lord has made it clear that this is the time. What turned a humble shepherd into the warrior king? By all accounts, you think about that Corinthians passage. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you were born into privileged position. David's just some dude caring for some sheep. And this is going to be the second or fourth most important person in the history of the world. How did that happen? Because David was willing to let God lead. His spirit rushed upon, we're told, the spirit rushed upon David. And David was willing to listen. That's all that God asks of any of us. 
to listen and obey. And if we do, then what can happen? Whatever God wants. Whatever God has for you to do, you can do it if you are willing to listen and obey. One of the things that makes David who he is and why this is such a great example for us is his humility, his willingness to let God be in control. And the question, as we conclude, has to be, what can God use in your life to take you places that most would find impossible? Again, we're, not, we're thinking about what Paul says to the Corinthians. Maybe you're not rich. Maybe you're not wise. Maybe you're not in a privileged position. Maybe you're just some random person. That's all David was. Some random person. Who was chosen to be this awesome king because he was willing to do the Lord's will. What can God do in your life? What can God use you to do in the world? If you're willing to listen and obey. And we think about his skill set. What is the skills required to be a king? Caring as he cared for the sheep. Responsible. He didn't forget his job. He went back, right, and did the job. Brave. What does he say later on? Yeah, the lions and the bears came, and what did I do? I fought them off. These are the things that are needed in a king. Compassionate. Playing the liar for Saul, even though he knows that Saul's going to lose the kingdom, he still is compassionate and cares for Saul and does what Saul needs at the time. Care. To, to have this comfort. I don't know what your skills are. I know you have some, because you're a human made in the image of God. Don't sell yourself short. You are made in God's image, which means you have ability, if you're willing to use it for his service. We'll end with Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. David never thought to ask, hey, can I be king, God? Do you think you ever asked that? Do you think you ever thought about that growing up as a, as a kid? Man, someday maybe I could be king. I, I would be shocked if you ever thought that. And yet here he was. To him who was able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What's the power at work within us? His spirit. The same spirit that rushed upon David. The spirit that came upon you, came into you when you are immersed into Christ. The spirit that we are told works with power to strengthen us in our inner being. That spirit, the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen? To him be the glory. Because it's not about how great I am. It's about how great he is. What's the only thing that can prevent this from happening? Me. Myself. If I will be like Saul and choose my own path, then I will not get the power. But if I am like David and let God direct my path, then he can and will. I, I totally believe this. If we can get out of our own way and let God be in control, he will do abundantly more than you even thought to ask.